key thing that's missing is that that supply itself, the access, the, the, the limited access to products like what we're developing is a big part of the problem. And that's why I, I actually started the business in the first place, because before I got to the stage of saying, let me start this business, I was first on the customer end looking for the products. Yes, yes. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining in to a brand new edition of Social Confos. Diego, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's early day today, so let's get into this. Yeah. And it's the end of February. That went in the blink of an eye. I think everything is going in the blink of an eye, but I'm, I'm glad to hear it isn't just me. Our guest today is also much of a busy bee, had a very big event recently, so... Why, why don't we go straight into introducing our guest for today? Yeah, so today we actually, it's been what, two years since we had a Bajan online. So we have someone from Barbados again. So we have a Bajan in our midst again. And this is quite an interesting topic we're going to talk about. Tell me if these words kind of make sense to you if I just mentioned them. Seaweed, entrepreneurship, biotech, umami. Are, we're, we're having a Japanese guest, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, we already said Bajan. So without further ado, Joshua Ford is joining us today. And Joshua is actually a 2021 Wildlife alumni. So uh, we've had quite a few alumni online. And Joshua is one of those, I'd say, unfortunate to not go abroad. But I bet he has many other experiences that he can tell us about how that's been going, award-winning biotech, a social enterprise, and interesting to learn more about actually what seaweed has to do with everything, with the climate change, with the Caribbean, and why it's so important. So Joshua, welcome to Social Convo. It's awesome to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, so, so to yeah, so us I, up I, I quickly want to give it, but I think, Diego, you should go ahead and ask the questions, and I'm going to Go dive deeper in the seaweed story a little bit later. Yeah. So I just mentioned like one particular word in the beginning, umami. And when I hear seaweed, that's actually the first thing that pops into my head. I've actually yeah. learned this a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, that we have five basic flavors, right? You know, sweet, sour, bitter, salty. And the fifth one is umami. And that's described as savory, you know, full of flavor. And one of the sources actually is seaweed that is full of umami. And I, I learned this recently. So I'm, I was curious, this one of the first thing I asked Joshua is, is the seaweed we're talking about, sargassum seaweed, edible? And how does it work? It, it is something that I said technically is edible. In the case with sargassum, that's been influxing in massive quantities, millions of tons, really, over 20 million tons of fat in the Caribbean region. Unfortunately, it probably would not be the most appetizing seaweed that you could find, but it's definitely good for a whole host of other uses. And that's what we focus on in terms of being able to like enrich the soil and 
even going beyond that, looking into animal feeds, biomaterials, and so on. Okay, because this seaweed is edible for sea turtles, right? Yeah, so the sea turtles, sea turtles feed on it. You would have species of, of marine life that actually feed on it or use it as a habitat to, to live in as it's floating. Because the thing about sargassum it is you, you would have these huge mats of seaweed just floating out at sea. Sometimes on flights in or out of the island, you can literally just see them for, you know, for miles. The seaweed, sargassum just rows and rows of it as if somebody was actually farming it out at sea, but it's just happening naturally. And a whole set of sea turtles and different types of fish would actually live in and around the seaweed. But where things get a bit tricky is when that seaweed actually comes to shore and becomes beached on the island. And then that's where we get quite a few of em environmental issues occurring. So is there actually a, I'd say, formalized industry around the seaweed, aside from what you're doing? Like how big is this industry in Barbados, but in the broader sense, the Caribbean in general? Like, is, isn't this an opportunity to, you know? It's a huge opportunity. It's something that's actually just on the cusp of being explored. I mean, we, we've actually been seeing sargassum in, in any huge quantities from as early as 2011. Things really kicked into high gear in 2015, but there has been a lot of more investigation and exploration around the sources of the seaweed. That's where much of the focus has been around understanding where it was coming from and potentially how long are we going to have these influxes coming. So we specifically have been working with the sargassum and we being my company, Red Diamond Compost, has been working with the sargassum since 2014. And in an environment that, you know, again, is completely new, so certain types of infrastructure and, and equipment and machinery, you know, not being in place, it has kind of been a landscape where you have different types of persons with, you know, different interests, where for us, we're looking at biostimulants, biofertilizers. There are other people looking at cosmetics and nutraceuticals, potentially just trying to, you know, come in and see what you can do, what you can develop from it that could be a sustainable business. But to this point, it's still, I would say, in the very, very early stages of becoming a, a, a full-fledged industry. Can you take us through the process? How it gets from the ocean to become used for fertilizer? You, with, for, yeah. And, and especially for non-technical tech, tech, <laughs> <techie> people, <laughs> technical people. Sure. So, I mean, like most seaweeds, they, they, they're out in the ocean and they're pulling minerals and nutrients from the ocean. The ocean is full of nutrients. So the sargassum is out at sea and it's literally just the, the way sargassum is, it breaks off into small fragments and those fragments continue to grow and then it grows and it, it's almost like a bacteria. It keeps breaking off and reproducing and reproducing. So it's a situation where it's just out at sea, it's feeding and some of the, the sources of the nutrients, unfortunately, are due to, you know, pollution and runoff. From, from different territories, you know, near, near those marine environments. Huge runoff of nitrogen and these different types of actually help magnify the growth of the sargassum. That, in addition to the, the 
rising sea temperatures from climate change, that's where we get that explosive growth of the sargassum happening. Then from there, it's just a situation where you have the natural ocean currents. Sometimes even storms or hurricanes literally push the sargassum along the ocean straight to our doorstep. And this is where we kind of get that first interaction with it. And you would have sargassum that would actually come right up onto the beach. And after a while, after a couple of days, it would start to decay and rot and become pretty, pretty bad stuff. But like for us in our situation, we look at harvesting or collecting the sargassum fresh from the, fresh from the sea as soon as it arrives. And then we take that true proprietary process to create different types of extracts and extract different types of bioactive compounds, just pretty much stuff that is good for plant growth, plant development, boosting the overall health and immunity of the plant. And then we're also being able to look at the byproducts that we get from that process, how we can channel these into additional sustainable types of agriculture as well. You just mentioned, like, you got started your company in 2014, so it's almost 10 years now, nine years. And yeah. this is something very novice, right? Something very new is engagement with seaweed. Like, what got you into interested in seaweed in the first place? Because it's not something you're used to. The yeah. industry hasn't been explored as much. You yourself are just exploring the possibilities right now. So what got you hooked on it in the first place, like nine years ago, 10 years ago? So, so that's a, a really interesting story. I mean, I went through a series of events, completely unexpected things that occurred. And it started with me becoming, becoming ill. This would have been like back in 2000 and, and between 2011 and 12. And when I was at a stage of recovering, I had a really bad case of mononucleosis. I was, I was dealing with nausea, chronic fatigue. I, I would sleep for like 10 hours. I'd be like, I had not slept for the entire week. And that led me on a journey of exploring how to grow nutrient-rich foods, right? I started to, to look up how to grow these foods. And the, the, the interesting thing is that it wasn't because I just wanted to improve my own nutrition. This happened because I happened to have a pet iguana. And I was growing, I was feeding, you know, going to the supermarket, buying all these leafy green vegetables for my iguana. And I didn't really used to eat much of them, to be honest. And then I said, I said, you know what, this stuff is getting expensive. Started going to the supermarket. I want to start growing this stuff. And that's where I started looking at how I could grow this food. That's when I came across this talk about nutrient-dense foods and the help of the soil and really seeing what, you know, industrial or conventional agricultural practices are done to destroy the soil and the quality of the food that we're actually growing. And that's where things really began for me wanting to first be able to improve the, the nutrition and quality of what I was consuming. So when I decided, you know what, I'm going to start to make some changes to my own personal diet, I had this more or less like changing experience at the end of this week of just maximizing my nutritional intake, focusing on leafy green vegetables, which are some of the most nutritious foods you can eat. And at that same time, we had all these different cases of chronic degenerative diseases being talked about in the media. And I mean, young persons in my own community being affected by it, you know, losing their lives to it. And within the Caribbean, the, you know, these are the type of headlines I was seeing. And I was just sitting there and I said, you know, this problem that I'm dealing with and trying to solve for myself 
there's so many other people that actually need this solution, you know, based on what I was seeing. So the thing for me was, how can I develop this into a business that could positively impact the lives of, you know, my community of my country and, and the region as a whole, and even beyond that. And for Red Diamond, we really started out looking at, you know, composting and these different types of soil amendments, but I didn't have the level of resources needed to do that in a way that it would make sense economically. And at that same time is when all of this sargassum seaweed started to wash up. And the funny thing is that if, if you look at the plan that I set out, the original plan I set out for Red Diamond, I had seaweed products as something that we would do down the road because, you know, uh, a few years later, because it, it was generally known the usefulness of seaweed in the, you know, crop production space. But Sargassum was something that was pretty, pretty new to the scene. And for me, I saw it as an opportunity. It was washing up on the shore for free. I could look at exploring that and, you know, capitalizing on it. Two quick questions. One, what's it like to have a pet iguana? Because that's the first time I heard that. <laughs> and second, like, how come Sargassum suddenly appeared? Like, in the past, so, what, 20, 30 years, the sargassum wasn't appearing yeah. as much. Like, what was the, yeah. the factor that it suddenly washed up so much? So, so to answer the first question, was it like to have a pet iguana? Pretty boring, I would say. Like, literally, she just sits around all day doing much of nothing. Yeah. <laughs> a very solitary creature. She, she likes her space. And once she's fed and has the right temperatures, she's pretty happy. But... The, the sargassum situation, the, the, the first, the first suspects of it were, you know, nutrient runoff, possibly from due to fertilizer runoff and these different types of, um, because into the ocean. Now, the area in the Atlantic, you know, this kind of wedge between the U.S., the West coast of Africa and, and just above the Caribbean, you have the sargassum sea where it's said to have you know, just been present in that kind of zone circulating for quite some time. But with the combination of the rising sea temperatures and all this chemical runoff into the ocean, that's, I mean, similarly, like you would hear about these algal blooms happening at different parts of the ocean around the world. It was a similar situation, but just the art, the sargassum is a lot larger and a lot more aggressive type of algae, type of seaweed that it has had the level of impact on the region. And not only did it start to increase in size and then currents, you know, the currents just naturally filtered it off from the Sargasso Sea, moving it around, around the world, essentially. They had found that some of that seaweed went to a different location, ended up in a similar zone and similar conditions, nutrient runoff, affecting it. And then we have say two new sources of sargassum now that again currents are pulling back the, the tides the, the weather and it's going to affect the caribbean in even a worse way than it was before so it is like that combination of nutrient runoff from whether that is from animal farms whether that's from land-based conventional agriculture and the rising ocean temperatures kind of just come came together at the right time to cause these huge influxes of sargassum. 
So if I'm understanding that correctly, it's due to the progressions society or man has made over the years in agriculture and, you know, farming, that kind of that waste that goes into the ocean kind of created a new natural process, I would say, because of that oversupply of nutrition and created this, yeah, the seaweed. Yeah. And then this is washing up all over the islands. And now you are trying to extract those nutritions again to reuse it into the uh, the traditional agriculture uh, agriculture as soil fertilizer, et cetera. So you have this yep. circular thing that, you know, it, it doesn't stay damaging to the environment. Am I exactly getting that? Yeah, right? exactly. Pretty much that's it. And and we we take the seaweed and taking it through our process, adding a few other components to it, we have come up with this essential product that is quite biodiverse and we, we still continue in our work of understanding the full impact and potential it has on improving the health of the soil. So yeah, we're definitely taking a problem and, and turning it into a sustainable and regenerative solution. So with this being said, for you, is it the case that if it becomes less and less available, that it doesn't matter because that's a good thing as well? Or are you saying, well, now basically it's become part of the, the sustainable development system of our agriculture. So like, for instance, without, without getting the stuff in from, from the seaweed, what other materials were previ previously used that you kind of no longer have to use because you have a better alternative? I mean, I mean, that has been one of the concerns of quite a lot of people. And this is why in the early years, it was difficult to kind of get that that interest and investment into the infrastructure, you know, because everyone was concerned as well, if next year the CV doesn't show up, well, you know, what are we going to do? But for for us, for Red Diamond, it's not a case of looking at one particular type or source of organic material. Our model is based on virtually any type of organic material, whether it is sourced from animal sources or, or plant sources. And how do we convert that into a high value end product to boost food and nutrition security? So it, it was always a sentiment of mine that, you know, if we want to use the sargassum while it's here, capitalize on it while it's here. But if in the next two years or so it goes away, we have other materials that we're going to be using just as before. We're going to be using the, 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 plant material, the wood material, tree branches, and so on, that same we would use for composting. We would have food waste that's still going to be coming from all of the homes and hotels and, and restaurants. We have fish waste that's going to be coming from like actual offal from the fish processors and the fish markets and so on. There's an abundance of organic material that we have, especially here in the Caribbean. So the, the process that we designed is not focus on one particular raw material because then we definitely be at risk of the natural environment if that decides to change tomorrow. But we are in a very flexible way able to use different types of material to still produce like quality end products. Yeah, yeah I think you, Joshua mentioned before, like the seaweed was on the roadmap for years later, but yeah. it just happened to accelerate. Due to the a uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, okay, that's you, interesting. I, I'd say as an yeah. entrepreneur, as a business looking for solutions, oh, it, it happens. you need to pivot. I think, yeah, you, you I need think, to pivot I think if opportunity knocks at the door. I think that's a very good analogy because it, this is something like you can translate it straight to any kind of business where you can say like, yeah, I want to do this, but I want to do it in that time frame. But it also, like you mentioned, it also has to do with the fact that you're considering it already and you kind of, it's it's already part of the thought process because that's yeah. the thing with innovation a lot of times is that it's not yet part of the thought process and it makes it kind of difficult to find it and to to elaborate a little bit more because you mentioned seawood is just one of the things that your company deals with so can you elaborate a little bit more on on, on projects that you're doing and how that's related to agrochemical as chemicals as well or is that something yeah. different you know yeah, so like our one of our main flagship products right now is called Liquid Sunshine, and that's made from the the Titonia plant. So this is a type of sunflower type, marigold type bush, more or less. That it is in many places, it's known as an invasive plant species. It grows very quickly and can reproduce quickly, but it doesn't tend to behave like that in in Barbados, which is is very interesting something that we're still trying to understand but what we essentially do is we cultivate this plant because it it literally pulls minerals and, and nutrients from the earth itself and stores it in its cells so we're cultivating the tithonia in this regenerative environment that is designed to actually increase the biodiversity and fertility of the soil it's growing when we get that plant grown to like that peak nutrition level we then harvest it and we do a similar process like what we're doing with the seaweed. We do a similar process with the plant, extracting those nutrients, infusing that biodiversity, the beneficial microorganisms into that process. And then you have this powerful, powerful product that when you're talking about applying that to your plants, to your crops. Right now, we have been, we, we initially focused on like flowering and fruiting crops because it performed tremendously with that. But, you know, getting it out into customers' hands and having them just use it for different things in the garden, the feedback we've been getting is, is phenomenal. So that's just one of the examples of... So these, know, these are kind of super products now. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, super charts. Yes, sir. If you had to describe like the, the geographic fidelity of the island, like how fertile is Barbados and I'd say many other Caribbean islands for agriculture in general. Yeah. Because usually these islands are, you know, because of the wind and the, the, the salt sea, it kind so of... It's, they're not that big. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So how well, does it relate to, you know, this, so this the super food, the super fertilizer you're providing? This is... I generally, most of the islands are unfortunately not as fertile as they used to be. Our islands, especially I mean Barbados in particular, historically is one of the, the, you know, with history with sugarcane, being able to produce the best quality of sugarcane in the world. And unfortunately, due to, and, and I've said pretty much every country around the world has become, you know, a consequence of the industrial revolution and the heavy application of synthetic fertilizers and pesticides, heavy, you know, heavy mechanization 
has literally destroyed the soil quality. So we, we had some soil scientists here a few years back who did an analysis and, you know, he kind of pronounced that much of the commercial soils are dead. You know, it's void of, of that soil life that we actually need to be able to maximize the nutritional quality of the food that we're growing. So this is why the type of products we're developing is so much more important, especially for the islands, to be able to produce high quality foods locally and maximize the, the limited space that they have. There are only, I think, one or two countries within the region that in terms of biodiversity, at least, they have a surplus based on the population size. Most of us are operating at a deficit and we really need to get these types of sustainable and regenerative, not only products, but practices implemented more widely. If you had to, if you look at the, I guess, the supply chain of naturally produced agriculture produce in the Caribbean, like what would you say is the biggest, I'd say, bottleneck that's kind of plaguing the islands to, you know, capitalize on this? Or do you say like maybe the islands should pivot or maybe something like a company as yours? provides or creates these super fertilizers for places that can actually maximize the use of that. Like what's missing in the supply chain to help these islands do better economically? The, the key thing that's missing is that, that supply itself, the access, the, the, the limited access to products like what we're developing is a big part of the problem. And that's why I, I actually started the business in the first place, because before I got to the stage of saying, let me start this business, I was first on the customer end looking for the products. I was looking for the high quality compost and high quality inputs that I could add to my own soil. I looked for them in Barbados. I looked for them in some of the neighboring islands and I could not find them. And that, I was like, wow, seriously. And you have, not to say there are not people in this space, you know, there are people that are producing products within the category, but again, for when you're talking about maximizing soil health, maximizing the crop potential, they're not really doing that. And that's the key thing. You find that when the growers have access, consistent access to these types of high quality products that give them the results that they need, they're more inclined to use them. So that's the type of situation that we get. I mean, you can literally walk into a, a store, you know, agrochemical supplier. And I went into a store once and you had a, a shelf that was say, say, say about 40, 40 foot long shelf. About five feet in length of that shelf were the organic, the quote unquote organic products. You understand? And not really much of anything that you can use commercially as well. It's not being cost effective. So being able to, a lot of times it's not that the, the, the industry does not want to say produce healthier food or healthier quality food, but to have that, those quality products in consistent supply is, is the big challenge. So how was it? Because that's the, the challenge is getting the supply, but how was it? Well, how is this perceived in general, like from, from the public, from the government? How, how was it perceived when, when it started becoming something a little bit more known? It is something that, interestingly enough, is 
quite desired in, in many, 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 many communities. And I'm talking within Barbados and, and outside of Barbados, going around to some of the other islands as well. It's, I, I didn't quite expect the demand for these types of products. And I find it very interesting because you don't always hear that in the mainstream environment, right? And it's not always spoken about, but when you're able to get on the ground and, and connect with people in communities, the, these home gardeners or farmers, there, there's this, this boy that exists and they're so excited and so happy that, well, so happy to hear that, you know, you're, you're doing this, even if it's a sargassum situation, so happy that someone's finally find something useful to do with it. And, you know, when you actually explain to them what they can do for them, you know, it's something they're really, really, really excited about. Obviously, you're always going to have people who are not necessarily interested and it, you're always going to have those people. But there is a large community that literally say, you know, we, we don't want to be using these chemicals. We want to avoid these chemicals, especially with the amount of information and access to information we have today where people are becoming more, are able to make more, you know, informed decisions about what they, what they consume or, or, you know, what they purchase, you, you're definitely seeing an increase in the demand for organic and, and sustainable types of foods and inputs. How are you using media? Because you mentioned the mainstream media a few times now, like having these conversations, the supply isn't there, so because the narrative has been written, you need these types of things. But now people are getting more educated on organic stuff. Like, how are you using media, especially the newer types of media in the past 10 years, social media? How is that playing a role in spreading the sargassum news to maybe get some mainstream headwind? Yeah, so this is something that I would say we're still in the, in the process of truly like cracking the code on it, but it is one of the things that's at the top of our list of how do we take our message, our narrative that we want to communicate to the, to the public, to the community. How do we get that in front of a mainstream audience that is in a way that is appealing to them, that's palatable to them. And this is something that I analyze over the years, noticing how most agribusinesses tend to market or promote their businesses or even talk about it in general. They usually follow the same pattern of focusing on the, the facts and the information and the data and just, just kind of shoving that down people's throat. But what I've been looking at is how can we merge all of that? the facts, the data, and the information with the creatives and the entertainment side to create something that allows us to get our message across in a way that is more palatable and, you know, something that's obviously going to take time to penetrate the psyche. But being able to get that done is, is the first step. So we actually in the process now of building out uh, and soon to launch a campaign called Journey to a Thousand Acres here in Barbados which is focused heavily on the education around organic and regenerative agriculture and, you know, being able to understand how the soil actually functions and, and how to use these inputs and the benefits of them. However, it is not going to be your traditional, you know, agri-workshop or course. We are going to have, we're still going to have those traditional elements, 
but it's going to be paired with a whole host of social media online content that is going to be designed and tailored in a fun and educational way in bite-sized pieces. So we're going to be working with people, creative colleagues who do sketches and who do different skits online. And I mean, it is no different to, I would say, some of the other industries that you would see partnering with influencers and, and creatives online to, to sell their products. It's a similar type of process that we're, we're starting to do with how we, we get our message across around these types of topics that are usually not, you know, tailored in that type of format. And even some of these simple, which for me is pretty simple promo videos that, that you would see Red Diamond put out or, or commercials that you would see Red Diamond put out. When I, when I design it, it is always with that similar mindset of, I just want to create something that is visually appealing to you that you see it and you're like, wow, or that you like it or it captures your attention. It's not really always about say, shoving that information down your throat because then you're not really listening, right? So that, that's the, the, the kind of angle that, that we, we approach it with. What, what, is the, what is the weirdest adjustment? When you, when you think of those things, what's the weirdest adjustment from an entrepreneurial perspective that you had to make that you didn't, like, you couldn't see it beforehand and you were like, when it was there, it was like, yeah, I have to change this. That's a really good question. I, one of the biggest things comes back to the similar topic. One of the biggest things for me was changing the language that I spoke. And I say this because when starting Red Diamond, I mean, it's such a science-focused business and being both the innovator and the mouthpiece for the business, you would end up in a situation where I'm going to the general public who knows nothing about what I'm talking about and I'm speaking in a very technical language, which, you know, it can happen very, very easily. Realizing that was an issue and figuring out how do I restructure what I'm saying? How do I, how could I frame this in a way that they can understand and that they actually like and can get behind and support? That was process for me. That, that was an interesting process, definitely. What was something like one of the simplest things you did or changed in one of these communication methods and you got like a surprising or a, a surprisingly positive response? Like, huh. See. That, that's a hard one for me to, 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 to think about. I sure, I sure there's more than one. To be honest, because again, we, we test so many different, test so many different things to see how, how people would respond to it. I think one of the key things is like going as simple as possible, right? So we were trying to promote about how effective the products are, say for the plants, and you would have messaging with the information about what it does and stuff like that. And then, you know what we said? How about we take a fruit, a very common fruit on the island. Everyone knows it. Take two images of it. Simple. Before and after the fruit, the first fruit was like this size. The second one was like this size. And all we put was size matters. You understand? And the yeah. response to that was just phenomenal. You understand? And it really, you know, it caught people's attention. So yeah, things like that. No, no, those are some fun things. And yeah. 
the way you're describing it now, because you basically had to transform the company or expand the company into a media company as well yes. as an innovation company. And yes. I'd say, did you try to partner or contact like external media companies? So what, what's the missing factor there in communicating or bridging that language to other media that, you, that instead of you deciding it like, okay, I need to do this myself and reframe my thinking. You see, the, the interesting thing about that is because if we take a few steps back before I even got into Star and Red Diamond, I was actually working closely in the multimedia space. Realistically, if you, if you go and you check our content, you check our websites and everything, down to the packaging of our balls, I actually designed all of that stuff. So graphic design, web design, that was what I was into. And for a period of time, I was actually in the music industry dealing with, dealing with artist management. So you know so, about the creative side. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I have a, my, my brother, one of my brothers, he's a DJ as well. So being around the creative, you know, so it was just, I had to flick a switch where I was like, hey, I have these skills. I need to actually implement them. These are actually strengths of mine that I can use. Let me implement them because you would find that even trying to work with some other companies, other media companies, they come with a particular mindset already because of what the subject matter is. And that's a, uh, it's, it's often a challenge because they want to shoot it in a particular way and it's, it's not the most appealing way. So you, you kind of have that kind of stereotype that the industry has. So one of, one of the things I, I set out to do is let me kind of just create those templates or those examples for what, you know, what Red Diamond is supposed to look like, you know, how we're going to be sexy and appealing and attractive to the public. And then know that we are actually at that part of bringing other partners in so that we can build this out even bigger. I'm trying to imagine it trying to tell the story to another media company and telling them, make the seaweed look sexy. <laughs> listen, the, listen, I, I actually had, so, you know, we, uh, you know, I mentioned we had our AgroFest, our National Agricultural Festival this past weekend. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I, I literally had someone look at the bottle for our Supreme Sea, the biostimulant made from the sargassum. And they were like, you, you made sargassum look pretty. Like, <laughs> yeah, we actually had that reaction. So that, that's always, always a pleasure to hear. Yeah. Quite interesting. Very diverse background. And yeah. If, if we, yeah. So you got a very diverse background and this got, just goes to show, you know, basically no matter what path you take, the skills you've had from a certain period of your life are applicable in a totally 180 business, basically. Definitely. And let's go spared with opportunity and timing, like how the sargassum just showed up upon the shore and now you got a different business opportunity. If you're looking at your trajectory as an entrepreneur, as an innovator, as a creative, basically all those three in one, like what do you think is holding people, I'd say, in Barbados, but in the broader Caribbean space back from, you know, grabbing onto these opportunities. Cause 
you being a wildlife alumni, you've had previous experiences in different programs as well, getting exposed to different networks. So what, yeah, how can more people, you know, grab hold on it? I would say, you know, I always used to get the question, uh, you know, as you say, I participated in, in, in numerous competitions, with, you know, at this point, travel around the world. And persons would always be like, well, how, how did you get into this? Or how did you get into that? And it was a case that I was aggressively looking for those opportunities. You know, I, I, I spent those time because especially for, for me, you come from some, from, from very humble beginnings and you, you know quickly that you need to build your network, you need to build partnerships and you need to, you know, expand your knowledge and your information. So that's what I, just essentially what I sought to do. So I would say to, to everyone else is a case of just being hungry to go after all of the opportunities that exist. I literally spent hours online at night, um, scouring the internet, looking for opportunities, whether it's competitions, whether it's fellowships and programs. And, and one of my most, I guess you could say notorious ones is the Caribbean innovation competition. And I applied to that program probably four times over the past, you know, decade. And I won, I won the competition in 2021, I believe, or 2020, I'm trying to remember, but I actually eventually won it. And, you know, there's many people who say would have applied the first time, didn't win and would never apply again or play the second time and, and then give up. But for me, every single time, my, my metric was never, my, my milestone, my measuring stick was never about winning the competition per se. Of course, I definitely wanted to win, but it was what am I learning? Who am I meeting? Who am I able to connect with? And what I noticed is that every single time I entered and I went through that process, I, I grew, you know, I, I learned so much more and I expanded. And then those bits and pieces, I was able to apply to the business. And so for me, it was okay. Now I see what I learned this time. Let me go again and let me see if I can actually win it this time. And then the next time and the next time. And obviously when you actually win the publicity and the press, you then get to benefit from all of that in addition to what you would have learned. So it's a, it's a, it's a case where you, you really got to be, have a conviction behind what it is that you're doing and don't accept no, don't accept those closed doors and just keep having that hunger and that fire to, to push it to the next level. How much, when you won that competition, how much did that publicity help to accelerate getting other opportunities? Because usually once you get your foot into the, into the door of one opportunity, it, it accelerates, it kind of compounds. So yeah. If you're familiar with the compound effect, basically yeah. the, the first getting through to that first opportunity is the hardest step, right? And with anything in life, the compound effect is something that you shouldn't underestimate, I'd say. And definitely, once you get start rolling, it, it just, you know, the, the floodgates open and you'll get a ton of sargassum on your beaches. <laughs> Every, exactly, that's how it happens. It, it literally, it literally, that's literally how it happened. And it got to the point where one of the competitions I had done, Climate Launchpad, 
and the facilitator that we had at that point. After we, I had won the Barbade, part of the competition went on to the Netherlands for the international competition. Then, then when there, but when we got back and he met with me, he looked at how much, you know, I had grown from when I entered that competition to the end. And he's told me, you, you're, it is, you're literally on that launch pad. It's only a matter of time before you take off is inevitable. And, and it's that type of avalanche effect that you get where you, the, the perception of what you're doing, especially changes, how people perceive you and what you're doing changes when you're able to get through that door, win those competitions. And a lot of times you don't even have to win it, but just even placing as a finalist in it goes a very long way as well. I, I, but it's so beautiful to see that you're also saying like, hey, if you really want it, it's not just going to be once or twice. You really, if you really believe if you have something, you should stand for it as well. Which yeah. brings us to a little bit of a lighter side of of the podcast. And before we discuss Diego, if we want to do some Oprah underrated, I also wanted to know what the, because for my personal perspective as a social media specialist, what is the social media landscape like in Barbados? Quite active. <laughs> Quite active, I would say. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like, you would say a micro version possibly of what it, what it is in the U.S. But concerning channels, like if you would list the top three, three channels, what, what would it look like? To be honest, I probably don't know the top three channels because even during COVID, I came across some, some platforms that, so Instagram, Instagram is always the, the, like the, the main stage, I would say, but between Instagram, Twitter, and, and TikTok, you have a, a, a huge group of people at so many different levels of the society. So. There's, there, there will be the platforms that nationally, okay, every single person knows about, okay, these, these particular networks or these yeah. pages that has all the information, all the goings on in the island. But then there are these subgroups that are huge, huge, huge groups. And, you know, the Barbados population is only around, say, 280,000 people. So having a platform with 20,000 people locally you know it's huge but then we have influencers here that know they're not only tapped into the local market they tapped in regionally and the internationally and they're in the hundreds of thousands and on their way up yeah yeah that's that's a new experience and that's mainly through tiktok like in, in the u.s it was already with with youtube and in, in some countries in europe but for like the smaller countries TikTok was kind of like the very first platform that people would have more followers than the world of people living in the country. Yeah. 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 Like how, how competitive is it between the other Caribbean islands in the region? If, if you're talking about social media, like, especially because we, I think there's also a Commonwealth difference between the Commonwealth countries, the, the islands and, and the other, also the other speaking. So the French speaking islands as well. Yeah. So is there more of a, Camaraderie or a rivalry among the other Commonwealth Korean countries? That comes down to the specific country. I would say, I would say you would see between, say, 
Barbados and, and Trinidad, which, you know, we're really close to each other. There's a lot of camaraderie between, between the two of us. You see a lot of collaborations happening there, but it, it depends what particular space you're in. Definitely anything to do with, you know, carnival, kadoomen and, and that soccer space, entertainment space, you get wide collaboration, you know, from Jamaica and straight through, but we still, one of the interesting things is that we're still not as close to some of our, you know, like French speaking and, and, and Spanish speaking Carib Caribbean, you know, brothers and sisters. That's the interesting thing that I find is that even with the social media, there, there's still that gap that exists, which, you know, the language was in existence. Yeah. Yeah. Still that gap that exists. All right. Diego, are you ready for? Maybe one on one, overrated, underrated. Yeah, I think we got time for two, maybe two? one okay. to each. So basically, Joshua, we're gonna we have a segment on our show, usually at the end, where we give you a topic, and you just tell us if you think it's overrated or underrated. If it's a bit yeah. controversial, you may elaborate, but you know, just short, overrated or underrated. So I got one ready to go. Mount Gay Rum, overrated or underrated? Underrated. Ooh, I, I could days. tell you that it's underrated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. As though underrated. Yeah. Okay. Well, nothing, what, nothing like. What's your f best way to drink? Well, let me say at this point, at this point, no, I'm not a heavy, not a heavy drinker, but I definitely love me some rum cake, some great cake. So usually say for Christmas, my uncle would get a great cake and just soak that down with some of the best rum. Yeah, that's, that's my, that's my guilty pleasure. Yeah, no, I, I, I had some in the end. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. yeah. Okay. We're going to stay in that lane, but not in the alcohol lane, but in a sugar cane lane. So yeah, sh sugar cane as a snack, underrated or overrated? I have to say it is underrated. Literally this year. It's so interesting. You asked that literally this year is when I, well, last year. I started growing my own sugar cane and having that much closer experience with it. I'm like, no, there's, there's some innovation that we can do here. That's still yet to be, yet to be explored. So definitely underrated. All right. Since we're still in the Caribbean, Bajan beaches, overrated or underrated? Mm. Bajan beaches. I definitely would say underrated. Traveling as I have and seeing what other people call beaches. Yeah. And, and plus I grew up on the West Coast of Barbados. Like, yeah, we, we have some of the most spectacular beaches in the world and we have a few, a few hidden treasures as well that not many people know about. Yeah. You gotta find me a local when I get there. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I only know the commercial ones. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the last one, Rihanna's performing at the Super Bowl. Overrated or underrated? Completely underrated. Listen, listen, listen. Obviously, obviously, you know, we got to represent Riri Big. Huge Riri fan. Her perform, I was in shock in the first few moments when she came up. I was like, wait, wait. At first, not only the, the baby bump, but I was, at first it was like, wait, is this part of the suit? 
And like everybody else, we're like, when, when was the last baby? When did that happen? And to believe to, that she, she just killed that performance. I was, I was, yeah, yeah. I, I spent some money to, to just watch that performance. Definitely. No, uh, the Super Bowl is known for some insane stuff. And no, but the, 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 yeah. that you mentioned the costume, like, it's not attention, really. And then you, uh, yeah. Like, and then I'm like, wait, is it already? How, has it been more than nine months? Or have you, like, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's yeah, definitely me. those two things were definitely. And then, and then the, oh, the, the performance itself, like the way the stage the was set stage up. stage and everything. And yeah. I'm like, wait, is she going back up? Why is she going back? It's like, oh my God. I just, I just was just happy everything came off flawless. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Well, as we close off to this episode of the show, first of all, thanks Joshua for joining us. And thanks for having me. Yeah. The conversation, I never thought I'd have a conversation like this about seaweed. <laughs> it's, it's quite interesting, the, the topics you encounter when you just you know reach out and ask and you just get the most random stuff and some things you just have to have an open mind and just take it in because with seaweed this is basically opportunity a big export opportunity especially in countries that are you know big on agriculture and basically you found a cheat code to revitalize the land as you mentioned the industry industrial revolution has kind of you know deteriorated the lands over time and we basically it's getting degraded faster than it has a chance to recover and we yeah. need to compete on that as well so what would you say is next or next in the big roadmap or within this year for your company like what's what's next for red diamond and so for a day as a person <laughs> So, so for Red Diamond, yeah, we have a, a very full plate ahead of us here for, for 2023. As I mentioned, we're going to be kicking off our journey to a thousand acres initiative, which is all focused on us connecting with the public, connecting with the people and, and kind of bridging those gaps, the educational gaps, information gaps, access to the actual products and materials, because we're going to actually be supplying a whole bunch of tools and products to, to persons for free, free of cost. But being able to get our products into markets, not only regionally, but internationally. We've been having those conversations for quite some time in the process of getting things, you know, wrapped up so we can get that high quality product out to the world. So that is, is where things are at for, for Red Diamond this year. For me personally, huh, it's just a huge, huge exciting learning process. And yeah, for me, it, it, it Priority for me this year, I, I made sure is making, I, taking care of my health, taking care of my health. You know, you could get so busy focusing on making sure you deliver top quality to everyone else and kind of forget yourself in the, you know, in all the, in all the, the buzz. But yeah, definitely maximizing that and just enjoying each and every, each and every moment of the journey. Awesome. Joshua. So right now, if somebody is listening or watching, this podcast and it's like, hey, I want to know more about those products or I want to learn how to have sugar cane at home, at home as well. How can they uh, reach out to you? Well, you hit me up, reddiamondcompost.com, reddiamondcompost on Instagram, on Facebook. If you check me out directly on my, on my Instagram, that's Emperor Fort. That's F-O-R-T-E. 
You can reach out to me. I am always art Joshua Four on LinkedIn. You can find me, find this face. I'm always open to new connections, meeting new people, having new conversations. So yeah, definitely. I'd say, I said, there we have it. RedDiamondCompost.com. Joshua, you've heard it. If you're interested in sustainable agriculture, hit up Joshua or just want to learn more about, you know, what we have to offer in the Caribbean in general. I bet there's a wealth of knowledge behind that smile. And definitely looking forward to more developments coming from your end. Thank with, you. Thank you. With that being said, again, Joshua, thank you for joining us for Social Compost. For those who are tuning in, tell, thank you for tuning in as well. And we'll see you back next week for a brand new episode of Social Compost. Bye-bye. <laughs>